0: going to start a new series of lessons this morning Uh, while you're, if you would, just the text verse is going to be in the book of Joshua chapter one, but I'm going to start in the book of Revelation and uh, kind of work back to Joshua. All right, if you're in your Bibles, uh, we are in the book of Joshua chapter one. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to stand for the reading of the Word of God. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses and then back up a little bit and work into this new series. If you give me a little grace on the top end of this lesson uh, to try to develop sort of a foundation of why we are even going into the book of Joshua uh, uh, for the next couple of weeks. Okay, Joshua 1 and verse number 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I will give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and in and this lebanon even unto the great river the river euphrates all the land of the hittites and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coasts there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life as i was with moses so i will be with thee i will not fail thee nor forsake thee I'll be strong and Good courage, for unto this people shall thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou very, rather, only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And then the famous verse, verse 8. Uh, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And you pray with me and for me this morning. Father, I pray you'd bless, guide us with your spirit. I pray that the word of God would find good ground this morning. As Lord, we've already prayed several times today that our children would be spoken to, that you would do a work in their heart today. I pray, God, that you would shake us out of our complacency. You would arrest our minds and our hearts with the word of God. Challenge us this morning, God. Comfort those that need comforted. Rebuke those that need rebuked. Wake those that need waking, Lord. I pray that, God, you would have your will and way. Before we leave here today, Lord, I pray that we all would know exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted from us. And I pray that, God, we would be very quick to obey what we hear today. And we'll be very careful to give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Thank you. Maybe may be seated. If you would, please, to make a right there. Go to the last book of the Bible, to the book of Revelation. Again, we're just going to do a little bit of a uh, chasing a couple of uh, verses here and uh, work you through a little bit of a foundation as we move into the series. The title of this message here is that victory is a choice. Uh, Victory is a choice. And the name of the series is There Is a Better Day Coming. Uh, as you look at the book of Joshua, it is a better day coming, uh, but victory is a choice. Victory is a choice for the church. Victory is a choice for a father, or a marriage, for a family, uh, for a pastor, and uh, even for a country. But in the book of Revelation, you'll find a very interesting uh, uh, commentary about the church, the condition of the church in the last days. In fact, if you look at the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3, and place each one of those in a certain segment of time in uh, history, you'll find that it's very interesting how it fits. I don't know if I fully understand and agree with the idea that each one of those represent a certain time in church history. But I would say that it's very interesting that in the last days, a lukewarm church, the church that is represented here in Revelation 3 is the condition of the church today. I mentioned this last week. Look in verse number 14. And under the church, uh, angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now we understand this is the church of Laodicea. I know thy works, Uh, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my what? My mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So in the last days, ladies and gentlemen, the church is described as being lukewarm. Warm. They're not cold and they're not hot. They're sort of in between those two extremes. They're sort of lukewarm. And the church in the last day would also assume that they don't need anything. I don't need anything from God. I don't need anything from his uh, spirit. I don't need anything from his word. And can you, can you note here that what the church thought they were and what God saw the church to be were two different conclusions. Uh, Here's what God says that the church of Laodicea was. They were poor, they were miserable, they were blind and naked. So watch this. The last days the church is characterized as a church that sort of is lukewarm. They're indifferent. They're, can you say it this way, more worried today than ever before. They're more fearful uh, than ever before. Uh, You'll find that there's references to a church that's sleeping. They're sound asleep. Uh, every pastor in America knows this, that there are people that come to church for a nice little nap. And it may be because the preacher needs to wake up. Uh, but uh, but there are people just kind of catch up on their sleep when they come to church. Uh, and uh, asleep. Uh, some are asleep through their Christian life. They're sort of, if you would, out to lunch, we say in South Jersey. Uh, so in the last days, can we say this, that the church is characterized as lukewarm. Now, hold that thought there and make a left and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. All right. 2 Timothy 3 and verse number 1. The Bible says this, know also. Then it says here, this, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. The word perilous means dangerous times. So in the last days, it's going to be dangerous times. And then it goes on to describe what that will look like. It says, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Wow, do we see that today? (laughs) Self-love, okay? Uh, You have to cater. Every preacher in America knows that when we get a phone call from someone coming in, say, uh, uh, asking about the church, uh, what can you do for me? Uh, What can you do for my kids? Do you have programs for X, Y, Z? It's all about them. You realize the church is not built for you. It's here to glorify God. That's another whole message right there. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Then it says covetous and boasters and proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. How about this next one? Truce breakers. I mean, it'll tell you a lie, man. Uh, They'll lie and they'll break. That covenant or break that agreement. False accusers, incontinent. They cannot control themselves. It's like the guy that says, I, I don't know why I did it. I just did it. I had no control. They have no control. Incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors and heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So in addition to the church being lukewarm, the condition of the world is dangerous And it's filled with those kind, if you would, of people, Uh, people that are fierce, people that are ungodly. Okay, now hold that thought there and make a right. Go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. Make a left there. I said right. Make a left. Some of you did go right, didn't you? 2 Thessalonians 2 verse number 1. Are you all doing all right? Now we beseech you, verse number one. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Now for those that believe in a, in, in a, in a uh, mid-tribulation rapture, there's a, there's a problem with that right there because there is a gathering together Unto Him. So there is a trumpet that's going to sound. The Bible declares that there's a trumpet. Both 1 Corinthians and, and 2 Thessalonians talk about the trumpet sound, the trumpet of God. And the church is going to be taken out or gathered unto him. Okay, so that's what it says here in verse number two, 1. And it says that ye be not, look at this phrase here, soon shaken in mind. Now, that, if that's not a description of America today and American Christianity, is your mind is being shaken. We have a all-time high of depression, all-time high of anxiety and fear and worry. It's inside the church, okay? Shaken in mind. He said, I don't want you to be shaken in mind or, by, or troubled neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us as that day of Christ is. Is at hand. Let no man deceive you, the Bible says, by any means, for that day shall not come. Watch this, except there be a great falling away first. Watch this. There is in the last days a lukewarm church, a perilous times, and a great falling away. People getting out, people not reading the Bibles, people not soul winning, people not praying, uh, people not doing what they used to do in terms of being faithful to the house of God, giving to the Lord, sending missionaries, going to the mission field. A horrible statistic right now that I heard yesterday is that 11, generation Z right now, the present generation that is existing today, this young generation, presently under Ken Ham's observation, there is a less than 11% of the generation today that go to a Bible-believing church. 11% of generation Z goes to church. I said, wow. And so I'm saying that we have a declared prophecy that there's going to be a falling away. That doesn't come uh, uh, before all these other things come after the falling away. I'm saying this morning, we don't have to be part of the great falling away. But there is a great falling away. Church is getting empty. A house of God is being placed with just uh, 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 rats and mice crawl around. It's nothing more than just a building anymore in most of our communities. Or an entertainment center for you to come and just rock to Jesus. But a solid Bible-believing church where the preacher is behind a pulpit exhorting people from the Word of God is very rare and scarce today. That's why, because now, as you look at this description of the last days, because of the condition of the world, because even in the condition of the government, the advancement of sin, the growing threat of persecution, the the church has sort of become almost retreated into a conspiracy huddle. (laughs) Storing food instead of searching for souls. If you're online watching, I hope you can listen to this. Getting ammo instead of equipping saints. Fighting a vaccination instead of contending for the faith. It's getting quiet in here. Storing for the end instead of looking for the return of Christ. Building bunkers instead of building families. Aligning more as a Republican than a Bible believer. And the consequences of that is that fear has replaced faith and worry has replaced the burden for souls. And we have almost become more interested in following some fear-mongering YouTuber than reading our Bibles. And so the church becomes almost a conspiracy huddle. And not advancing to do the work of Christ. That's why we sing the song. All We're Christian soldier. Why do we sing those songs? Why are we not. If you would. Retreating. Why should we not be retreating? Why does the Bible say. That the gates of hell. Will not prevail against the church. Do you realize that the gates of hell. Is a defensive mode. If a church is what it ought to be. The gates of hell cannot prevail. Against that kind of church. That's right. Woo! Glory to God. And here we are behind our walls and comparing the latest news bits and 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 and, and new uh, things to worry about and things that are coming. And I'm not saying that all of those things are not something we should have some attention to. But, ladies and gentlemen, it, when it becomes the message of the New Testament church, it's wrong. The Bible says that the horse is prepared against battle, but safety is of the Lord. Nothing wrong with you getting some preparation, but you better know this, that if God is not blessing it, there's nothing you can do to prepare if God's not giving you safety, sir. You all here? So the church is now largely speaking in America. And as I go across, and I'm not a traveling evangelist, I am not a traveling pastor, but they're telling me the same thing goes on in every church, that there are those that huddle and it's getting larger and larger and larger where well, there's less soul winning and more worry. The church is hiding inside the walls and not advancing into the darkness. But if we're going to be defeated, I'm convinced that that is a choice. And if we're going to be as a church, as an individual going to be victorious, that is also a choice. That brings us into the book of Joshua. And I believe we need to, in our age, I think there's many misunderstandings surrounding the Christian life. A lot of misunderstandings. Listen, you go to a Christian bookstore today, and you just uh, uh, look at the shelves. They're lined with books that claim to be able to teach us how to make the Christian life easier for the believer and the church to be more acceptable by the world. How to be a better you. How to be more acceptable. The truth of the matter is there is nothing easy or acceptable about being a believer in Christ. If you are going to be a believer, you're going to be hated by the world. You mark that down, sir. If you're going to be a solid Bible believer, you are not going to be the most popular guy in the community. Why am I feel like I'm all by myself behind that? I'm going to hide behind this pulpit, I think, here. The truth of the matter is that it's never been easy to live for Jesus Christ. Can I just say this? Jesus has never been cool. He's never been hip. He's never been in. He's never been the cool guy. That whole man upstairs and boy, he's just a a great guy. All of those, if you would, innuendos. He is the king of kings. He is a lord of lords. He is coming back one day. Okay? He is a conquering king. He is returning one day. And ladies and gentlemen, our eyes ought to be fixed on him, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But the gospel of Jesus Christ will never be acceptable by the world. In fact, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you realize the word reproach is in the book of Hebrews describing who Christ is. Suffering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. If you're going to be serving Jesus Christ, there's a reproach to that. I, one of our teenage girls was called, what did she uh, refer to it? Oh, one of those skirt ladies. Uh, but, and she says, thank God they can see I'm a Christian at least. Not that wearing a skirt makes you look like a Christian, but I'm saying they saw something different And one of our teenage girls up at Cedar Point. So we're not out, listen to this ladies and gentlemen, we are not out in a walk in the park. You all with me today? This is not, this is not like easy. The word of God declares that we are at war. That's why it's very clear in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 3 the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's letting him know Timothy, listen, this is not Sunday school class like easy stuff here. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, why would he say that? Because he was at war, spiritual warfare. He's no man that warreth and himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. If you are saved today, whether you like it or not, you are recruited into the greatest military, spiritual military in the entire universe. You're in God's army. Amen. And he is the Lord of hosts, by the way. So we're engaged in warfare with a spiritual enemy that has a lot of power in fact he's more powerful than you are the enemy that you fight the enemy you face he is a foe he is an enemy that wants nothing more than to destroy us he's an enemy that wants to destroy our marriages and our family and our children i called for a prayer meeting yesterday i've been announcing it for the last couple of weeks probably three or four weeks Heritage prayer meeting. Heritage prayer meeting. Praying for your children. Praying for your grandchildren. Praying that God would bless the heritage that God has given you. I'm not faulting anyone. I'm not chiding anyone. But if I called a meeting that we're going to meet at the church and we're going to have a global perspective class and we're going to teach you how to store food and we're going to teach you how to get ammo and we're going to teach you what kind of guns to get and we're going to teach you that there's a food shortage is coming, there's fuel shortages coming, the church house would be filled with people wanting to learn how to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, we had 15 people come to pray for their kids. I remember when we went from the Wednesday night Bible study to the Wednesday night prayer and Bible study. We had people that said, I ain't coming back to church on Wednesday night because I don't want to pray. And we wonder why we're powerless. And we wonder why it the, the, the seems as if we're just more and more retreative and, and more fearful. Because we're, we're lacking the biggest weapon we have. Prayer. Prayer. But we're engaged in an enemy that wants to destroy our children. He wants to destroy our witness. He wants to destroy our service. He wants to destroy our peace. He takes no prisoners. He has no love. He's full of cruelty. He's a murderer from the beginning. That's your enemy. That's my enemy. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 6, turn there quickly, the book of Ephesians. Look at this verse. I love words. Amen. When you look at words and you study words and the Word of God, they are powerful, man. Ephesians 6 and verse number 12. Watch what it says. For we, that's the Apostle Paul referencing himself, referencing believers. Now watch this. Stay with me. Verse number 12. For we wrestle not. Look at this next word. Against. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but Against principalities. Watch this. Level number one. What you're fighting today, what we're fighting today, level number one, is principalities. Listen, that is a level of organized darkness that is arrayed against your family, against your marriage, against your peace, against you, if you you were as an individual or as a church. Principalities. Number two, against powers. Number three, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. And number four, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So where, there you go. We got four different levels of spiritual darkness you are fighting all the time. You're at war. And so the word here, interestingly, is against. Against means simply to be in opposition, noting uh, contradiction, in opposition, noting competition. Or different sides of a party, 1828 definition, against. And out there, say, ladies and gentlemen, today, believers struggle being against anything. Or at least publicly declaring they're against some things. But we are in warfare. And in warfare, there's opposing sides. One side is trying to eliminate the other. One side is trying to kill the other. One side is trying to defeat the other. And warfare has never been easy. Endure hardness as a good soldier, Timothy. Now, in our own strength, we can't defeat this thing, man. This is powerful, man. But the good news is that our enemies have no chance against who is in you. Amen. The Bible says, greater is he that is it. Thank you, Christy. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the what? World. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit living inside of you, he is greater than your enemy. (laughs) He is greater than, listen, your arch enemy. And so the Holy Spirit inside a believer equipping us, if you would, to go out into this darkness, piercing this darkness with the light of God's word, advancing into this darkness, into this crazy world that we're living, and share with them the greatest news they could ever hear. As a chaplain for the Finley Police Department, man, there's, there's heroin in our city. There is, there is Molly in our city. There is meth all over the place. There are people dying of overdoses every day in our community. And we know more about the statistics of how to prepare for the end of the world than we do of having to reach someone with the gospel that's dying next door to us. Are you all with me this morning? That's why it's very clear that when you look at the word of God, we're not to be troubled. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So in the midst of all this great, harsh, difficult times that we're in, we've got promises, man. We can live by the promises of God. We can wake up with the promises of God. I often say I had a, you know, thinking about the old uh, 63 Dodge that my dad had, man, that thing, you had to talk to that truck to get it to start. And it was, we called it buttercup. In fact, I took spray paint on the front steel bumper. And I put buttercup. It was a yellow. We, spray, we painted it with yellow spray rattle cans. Thing was, a loud, miserable truck. And we said, please start today. My dad had a construction business that had no heat in it. In South Jersey in the wintertime wasn't exactly Florida, right? We'd have to get him warmed up. We'd have to get a little bit of ether. We'd have to try to talk to him a little bit, pet the steering wheel, finally start it up a couple, two or three times. Listen, the church, sometimes we got to almost start you up. I like when I get into a truck, start that thing, it's ready to go. I love when I come to church and the house of God is filled with people ready to go, man. They're ready to sing to the Lord. They're ready to lift their voices up and praise Jesus Christ from the first song to the last, from the first word to the last, from the first amen to the last amen. They are saying, God, you are to be honored. Praise God for that. The church is noted many times by how they respond to the spirit of God moving among them. That's why it says, what should we say then to these things of God before us? Who could be against us? Nay, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. First Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So while we're engaged, this is all kind of introduction to this stuff, this material here. So while we're engaged in the battle with evil, there's an expectation that we can walk in victory. There's an assumption in the word of God that we can have the peace of God. We can have the power of God to go into this world. There's an assumption of the word of God and a declaration that you can have that. So, back to our text. Go to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Joshua 1. Y'all are doing great. If you're new to the Bible, Joshua is... Coming uh, on the scene, he is the next leader of Israel. Moses is dead. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and 40 years in the wilderness. Remember the 10 plagues in Egypt and all that that took place. And of course, bringing them over the, uh, the, the, uh, the Red Sea and then destroying their enemies. Now they're out in the wilderness for 40 years. They're wandering. The characterized nation that God describes them as. They were murmuring. They were wandering. They were complaining. They were stiff-necked. I'm using all biblical words to describe the children of Israel in the wilderness years. They're just wandering around and wandering around doing nothing. Circling if you would. God was with him. And God gave him a cloud by day. And a pillar of fire by night. What did he do? He gave him a little shade in the daytime. Gave him a little heat at night. He gave him manna from heaven. They complained and complained and complained. That's the, if you would, church in the wilderness. That's what describes the people that are living outside of the victorious Christian life. That is represented in the book of Joshua. So. We have a transition going on. We're going out of the children of Israel wandering through the children of Israel conquering. They're moving over to that. So that's how this book opens up. And you find here that uh, it's going to uh, be a book of battles. It's going to be a book of warfare. It's going to be a book of painful defeats. And there's going to be great victories. But when you look at this book, much of the teaching in the book of of, of Joshua uh, has a lot of application for the New Testament believer, more than you realize of what God can do with you. The Bible, in fact, mentions the book of Joshua through a couple of words of the walls of Jericho fell down in Hebrews eleven thirty after they were compassed about seven days. And so there are songs and there's references to this time. But let me just sort of paint this victorious picture for you that the land of Canaan, as many unfortunately reference it today as being heaven, the land of Canaan was not heaven. Canaan land is just inside. There's no war in heaven. Are you all here? So we can't use that idea that Canaan land is heaven. I'm just looking over the, the side of Jordan. I want to go home to heaven. Heaven is when we get into the presence of the Lord. There's no enemies there. Are you all here? So let's kind of unpack that a little bit. But I've entitled the series, There's a Better Day of Coming. And uh, my goal really in preaching this book or some of the principles in this book is really get us in the mindset of getting out of the wilderness, getting out of the complaining, not that we're as a church, a complaining church, but focusing us on what God has for us in the victorious Christian life. And the choice of victory or defeat really is ours. So what does it hinge on? Well, if you look back in our text, Joshua chapter 1, we're just going to move through a couple of quick verses here. I'm almost finished. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord had spoke, or rather spake unto Joshua, Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, now, watch this phrase here. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, thou and all this people under the land which I do give to them, even the children of Israel. Very interesting phrase in verse number two is that there is a reference to the land that's already been given to Israel. No, Israel's not crossed over Jordan. Israel's not even gone around Jericho. Israel's still, if you would, transitioning from ending 40 years in the wilderness to going into the conquering of the land. But the land has already been given. Y'all with me this morning? It's theirs. Okay, they own the land. They have to conquer the land, but God gave them the land. It's interesting, as you start unpacking these verses, there is a command to go and conquer this land. So in these verses, Joshua then is reminded that the Lord is still with him. Moses is dead, but I'm still here. Moses is gone, but I still remember my promises. I think back in our nation's history, man, we've had an incredibly blessed country. You think about you think about the first Great Awakening. You think about the second Great Awakening. There are pockets of revival. There's places in our country that you read of a movement of God that came in to even change the names of the cities in some of our cities in our country because so many people were getting born again. A spirit of God, five thousand people showing up to a to a to a communion, and all of a sudden, man, the Spirit of God, worked. people getting saved? You think of George Whitfield, and you think of him preaching to the coal miners down there in Virginia. He said, you could tell the conviction on their face because their faces were turning white from the tears wiping, if you would, running the dirt and the grime of the coal mines off their faces. Massive amount of people being saved in our country, lives being changed, But we don't have a George Whitfield here. We don't have even a Billy Graham, who used to preach when he was younger, a great, solid Bible, hell, fire, and brimstone message. We don't have the likes of Billy Sunday or others that used to crisscross this country. We don't have the preachers that we used to have. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was yesterday or this week, that uh, we don't have the amount of preachers that we used to have in this country going out into ministries. In Bible colleges, we used to have three, four hundred Bible college graduates, all of which were going out, taking pulpits and going out into evangelism, going out in mission fields. Randy King and Brother Stansel and other evangelists have said the same thing. We just don't have the preachers. Either God is not calling preachers in the ministry, or God is calling and we're not listening. But I would say this morning, maybe a little bit of both of that, man. But we need to have a people that listen and go out. And I think here this morning, as you look around, it doesn't have to be the way we see it right now in our churches. And I believe with all my heart that God did not save us to see us defeated. God did not not save us to have us sit. Are you all here? You are not doing God a favor by just coming and sitting. It's getting quiet in here. We subscribe to the idea that church is the end of itself, that we just go to church, we did our thing. We did our religious duty for the week, we're good, we can go on and do our own thing. Do you realize we are all only right now equipping you to go out and do what we're commissioned to do, okay? To go out into this world and reach this world with the gospel, we have children that came in this morning, visitors coming in this morning. We prayed for them last night. We prayed for your children last night. We went through the entire list last night of all the children, 20 years and under. Prayed for them by name, principal prayers on how to pray for our kids, praying for their development, praying for their spiritual life, praying for their future spouses, praying for their peace, praying for their joy, praying for wise decisions, praying that God would lead them, Pray that they would have a relationship with God. They would see who God is. That's why it's clear in the Bible that the church has been clearly commissioned to do something that it's not doing today. And I look around me, I see Christians who are defeated. They struggle with sins. They, they struggle with the intents and purpose, purposes for what they're created to do. They're just sort of wandering around. They do their Sunday thing and go home and go back to watching whatever they used to watch. Go back to clicking what they used to click. Go back to doing what they used to do. And we're hurting. But the choice of victory hinges on number one, listen to this, is understanding the commandments of God. (laughs) Listen, if you don't know what God's word says, you're not going to do it. That's why it's imperative that we know what God, my people do err, I mentioned already not knowing the Scripture. So it's a command to conquer the land. In verse number 1 through 4, you find Joshua here is reminded that uh, the land is already theirs. Moses, the man of God, is gone. But but think for a minute here that Joshua is now taking the people into the Canaan land. He is going to claim this land. And interestingly, this land is over 300,000 square miles. That's a lot of miles. But when you study the map of what they actually did conquer, it reduces down to about 10% of that. They actually conquered about 30,000 square miles, but yet they were given 300,000 square miles. Very interesting study. By reference to verse number three in this because every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. If you walk it, you got it. How about that? Oh. That's a pretty good plan right there. you got to fight for it, but it's yours. If you can walk it, it's yours. Can you imagine that, man? Can you imagine as a child of God, everything that God has for you, you can have it? Just walk there. Go get it. I say, Pastor, you sound like a name it, claim it. I'm not talking about trying to get a million dollars in your bank account before you're 30 years old. I'm not trying to do that at all. I'm simply saying there's things that you don't have spiritually that you could have, but you don't, you don't get it. And so you'll find here that there is a command, a command to have the confidence in what God says is being true. Look in verse number five, six, and nine. Verse number five, the promises of victory over every enemy. Verse number five, it says, there shall not any man be able to what? All right, there you go. So here's a promise, Joshua. I want you to tell the guys, tell the ladies that when you get up there, no one's going to be able to stand before you. Wow. No one, no one. Look in verse number 5b. The Bible says here, I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Here's a promise that God's power is going to be there. God's presence is going to be there. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. Amen? According to verse number 5, he says, uh, I'm going to be there. Look in verse number 6. Be strong and of good courage. You realize this? God has an opinion on our attitude. He said, I want you to be strong, and I'm going to hit this a little bit later. But there is an absolute victory. It's yours. He says, here's the people. Divide the land. It's a promise that he will keep his promise. I swear, he says, which swear, verse number six, unto their fathers to give them. Wow. So, number one, the choice Hinged on knowing the commands of God. The choice hinges on having faith in the promises of God. Having faith. Watch this. Trust God. You and I are going to be faced with very challenging times these next 5, 10 years. Very challenging. Listen to this. We've already seen a drive run on already this year. We found out who the Bible believers were. We found out who the YouTubers were. Are y'all here? You better settle right now what you're going to do with this book. You better find a principle from God's word by which you are going to stand. Okay? You, by the way, you're not going to stand before God and you're, You're not going to have to give an account for how good of a citizen of America you were. Although you're going to have to give an account for Romans 13. Whether you take a vaccine or not vaccine, you're not going to be given an account to God for that. He's not going to say, did you take the vaccine? Are you all here? Did you wear a mask or did you not wear a mask? You all here today? Did you have enough food stored up or did you not? Are all here? I'm trying to push back against a, a tsunami of stuff that's in the churches today. And we're paralyzed. And we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing in the day that we're supposed to be conquering land. Con- listen, conquering spiritual land, getting ground spiritually. I would dare say there's a lot of people hurting today that they just have a problem trusting God. For Joshua to be part of that, he he had to have faith in God. May I remind you that the same promises that God made Joshua are still valid today? According to the book of 1 John 5, we still have victory over our enemies, spiritual enemies. According to Hebrews 13, 5 and Matthew 28, 18, he's still with us. He's not leaving. So I I agree with Jeremy. You know, the whole whole COVID, never going to go away. There'll be something else next year. Okay. Remember in Matthew 24, pestilences. I mean, it's just a new thing, all right. And they're trying to control us. Absolutely. You know what? I, I don't really care. Just give me the opportunity to get the gospel to someone else. Amen. Y'all hear on that? <laughs> Say, man, I feel the spirit right now being pushed against right here. Well, that's not what my YouTuber said i got to fight those guys, man. Ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of truth, man. Why don't you get in your Bible, sir? (laughs) Thank you, man. He still gives absolute victory, Revelation 21. We're going to be in his presence one day. And we're not going to be at the judgment seat of Christ having to give an account of all the crazy, stupid stuff that we're getting caught up doing in this culture. How many souls did you win? Have you told anyone about Jesus Christ? Have you given the gospel to anyone? Have you served me? Have you given anything in my name? Have you sent a missionary? Have you followed the Holy Spirit's voice? Have you prayed? Again, <laughs> we had 15 people out there praying last night. I, think I, pray, I praise God for 15 people showing up to pray. But if I had an end-of-the-world Conference, we'd have this church filled up yesterday. We do less praying and less and more worrying than we've ever done. And then we complain that oh, God's not working with my children. God's not doing anything with them anymore. Why don't you start praying? Right. You, you are powerless to change that heart. Only God can do it. I'm convinced if we fast and we pray and we have faith in what God could do, he could do something that's miraculous. Well, you don't know how bad my kid is. You don't know how bad that Greg kid is. You don't know how bad that far gone that guy is. Listen, with God, all things are possible. Right. I can take any difficult situation and bring it to the throne of God and trust him with it and walk away and say, "God, take care of that." He's a good God. He gives us absolute victory. He a promise. Amen. And he keeps his promises. So we need to trust the promises of God. So watch this, ladies and gentlemen. Before they even get into conquering the land, they needed to know what God said, and they needed to trust what he said as being true. We need to trust God in the dark times. We need to trust God. I think of the widows now in our church. We have several new widows after that year, several new widows trusting God. They're a dark time. They go home to an empty house. We have people that have buried children. That's a dark time. Trusting God when it gets dark. Trusting God when everyone else walks out. Trusting God when you don't even understand. Trusting God in the valley. Trusting God in temptation. Trusting God with your own children. Trusting God with your future. Trusting God in the difficult times of life. And ladies and gentlemen, the Lord has given us a precious, the Bible uses the word precious promises. He promised he's going to come back. He promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, that there's going to be someone that's going to come and going to bruise the head of Satan. Praise God. That's a mortal wound. And that that Satan is going to bruise his heel. That's Calvary. He promised in the book of Genesis in chapter 5, verse 24, that he's coming back. In chapter 41 and verse 45, he's coming back. In Psalm 22, 23, and 24, that he's coming back. The promises of his coming is found in all Four Gospels. The promises of His coming are found in the book of Acts. The promises of His coming are in the epistles of James and Paul and Peter and John and Jude. The promises of His coming are in the book of Revelation. All through the Bible. He said, I promise. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And will I find faith? We need to know the commands of God, we need to know the promises of God, and we need to obey what God says. You know, that's the hardest part, isn't it? This is where the rubber meets the proverbial road. Look look at verse number 10. I'm just going to hit this real quick. We're we're finishing up. The SSBC is finishing up here, but look in verse 10, and we'll, we'll go home. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, look at this, Pass through the host and command the people saying, prepare you victuals. Within three days, ye shall pass over this Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. Watch this. Joshua had to know what God said, says, trust what God says, and then obey. All right. We're going to do it. Now, um, you probably don't know this, Joshua. I just want you to know. You're probably not familiar. I know what God said. But there's a city that my uncle told me about called Jericho. And it got some pretty big walls. I don't know how you're thinking this is all going to go down, but I don't know if this is a good idea. Are you all here? There's no one in the camp of Israel that has any record of saying any such foolish thing. You back that thing up 40 years, you get 10 spies coming back saying, Oh, no, time out. You don't even know how big those people are. Where's grass, grasshoppers? Really? In their sight. A grasshopper? Yeah, we're grass, grasshopper. That's how big we are. Small we are to them. They're big. Can't go. And the majority vote won. And they wandered 40 years in the wilderness. And they all died in unmarked graves, buried out there in that wilderness. No one says a thing here. You <laughs> all here? They're going in, man. <laughs> we're not going to do what mom and dad did. We're going we're gonna to move, move forward here. How are we going to roll? Listen to this. They had to come to a place where the rubber's meeting the road, where it's actually going to go over the Jordan River. We're going to go. We're on. Y'all with me this morning? Here's the hard part in the Christian life, is knowing what God says, even believing and trusting in what God says, and that's evidence very simply as obedience to what God says. We all here? So you're either going to center your life on what God says, or you're going to center it on your fear, on your conspiracy theories, on all the other stuff that we simply get on and move away from the word of God. And then he says in verse 8, this book of the law, I love, I love verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. What does that mean? You better keep it in so it can come out. (laughs) But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. You know what does that mean? It means you're going to be working this word in your heart all the time. You wake up in the morning, you're going to read the word of God. All through the day, you're going to read the word of God. You're going to meditate on God's word. You're going to fold that word in your heart all the day, day and night. Meditate in the word of God, in the law of the Lord, day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you spend more time on your YouTubers, on your conspiracy websites, on all the things that we can wrap our minds around and less time in this word of God, there's no way that you can have a successful Christian life. You cannot observe to do according to all that is written therein if you don't know what it says. Are y'all here today? Well, I've already read it four times in my lifetime. God's word is a living book. Daily in the word, reading, studying. Then it says here, Then thou shalt make thy way, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Finishing here. God says, in addition to the command, the trust of my promises, the obedience to what I say, I'm going to give you one more thing, and we're leaving. He says, i want to be concerned about how you're going across. Watch what it says in verse 6, 7, and 9. Real quick. Be strong and of what? Good courage. Verse 7. Only be thou strong and what? Very what? Courageous, all right? Now look at verse number nine. Have I not commanded thee, be strong and of good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Ladies and gentlemen, God's people need to be a people that are ready to go. Encouraged. We're finished. But this standing, this idea, this moving forward with courageousness is biblical. I said this to the morning service, and I I didn't really plan this. I wasn't trying to put this into the notes, but it just came to me this morning. If there is a favorite thing to do at a funeral, my favorite thing to do is to take the family to 1 Corinthians 15. And it's usually out at the graveside. All the other friends are gone. They're going back to the church to get lunch. So it's me. The loved one, most hopefully are saved and on the way to heaven, and they're in heaven. So we got chairs sitting out right there under a tent. Usually the funeral director is up to the right of me. The honor guard is if, they're, if they were in the military is back over there. I've got four people, usually with tissues, wiping their tears. There's family behind them. And I'll start with 1 Corinthians 15, and I'll say these words. The last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, be unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, we waste our time on so many trivial things in this life, but you will never waste your time giving your life to Jesus Christ. Never. 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 You'll waste your time doing all kinds of stupid stuff in this that has no meaning at all for eternity, but you will never waste your time giving it to Jesus Christ, never at all. Never. Because what's done for the Lord Jesus Christ will last forever. Now, how many in a church like ours can hear a message like this and go right back to what they used to do? (laughs) Listen, the victorious Christian life is a life of knowing what God says, trusting what God says, obeying what God says, and going out and doing what God says with a good attitude.